work. Oh, oh, went Jackson with the hammer. Welcome to Aggie Hoops Weekly. Over the course of the weekend, the Aggies traveled to Nashville to face the Vanderbilt Commodores and picked up a a nice win over uh, the the rebuilding Commodores program under the direction of Jerry Stackhouse. Yes, that Jerry Stackhouse. And then they followed that up with an overtime loss to to LSU, who who looks to be a pretty salty team. So uh, all in all. A one in one week, David, but but two really encouraging results in the fact that you saw some positive trends continue for this team. I mean, you said it, the the positive trends continue. Um, in in general, I'll say I I knew we'd get here even back in in the dark days when we were losing all three games in Orlando, culminating in the nadir of the season, the awful awful performance against Fairfield. Even then, I knew this day would come, but I didn't think it would come this quickly. I feel like, I don't want to say job done, turnaround complete, but we're back at a level now where we're competing in literally every game we play, regardless of the talent level of the opponent. I'm thrilled, Blake. You said it yourself. Two great performances. This is a lot of fun right now. we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it certainly feels like, like you said, we're not we're not waving the flag. We're not hanging the mission accomplished banner, but it does feel like things are certainly ahead of schedule from where we originally projected they would be, especially around that Orlando game. So I, I think you're seeing this team come together. I think you're seeing some some good strides in the right direction at this point. We are, so let's hit the specifics. And it's a really fun one to start with, which was, as you noted, our road trip to Nashville to that weird memorial gym where the baskets are like sideways or whatever and the benches are in the fourth row by the popcorn stands. I haven't figured it out exactly. I just know it's <laughs> weird. Uh, but I'll also say maybe we should change Reed Arena to match those schematics because we shot the ball really well. Uh, for the first time all year, we really shot the ball well at Memorial Gym in Nashville. Um, I will note, before I jump into the specifics, Vanderbilt did lose by far their best player the night before this game. It was announced he was going to be out with a pretty significant injury so in the game prior to their game against us they took number five auburn to the wire on the road and i thought oh man we might be in for a dogfight this was not that team this was that team without by far their best contributor so that has to be said but at the same time we came out and we just beat the pants off these guys we uh we started three for five from beyond the arc which if you're familiar with this team basically made me feel like i was walking on water i was like we we can do everything we cannot be stopped i i guess the best way to describe it is just it was a full-on boat racing so we jumped out to a 28 to 12 lead at one point and we just kind of maintained that scenario for the rest of the game the lead literally never dipped down below 14 again the halftime score was 36 to 20 and blake we poured it on to an almost embarrassing extent in the second half. And the cherry on top of the Sunday was a Mark French three that pushed the lead to, if you can believe this, 59-28. So we had a 31-point lead on the road in the SEC. Vanderbilt closed pretty strongly. Like, they, they had a 22-10 run against our reserves. Final score of 69-50. But this is Texas A&M basketball I'm talking about here. It was a 19-point win on the road, and it honestly wasn't even that close. You're right. It wasn't that close. And it was a win in which you shot 52, almost 53% from the floor and 31% from behind the arc. We'll, we'll check in on where we are at the reverse leaderboard uh, for for uh, three-point percentage in the country later. I felt like this team really shot the ball well. They did. They controlled the turnovers. They did everything you wanted them to do in this game. And it's like we like we talked about. We wanted to see them build on the positives that you saw 
the prior week against Ole Miss and Arkansas. Things were going in the right direction, and it's like, okay, let's start stringing things together now. And they did exactly that. And from all of Buzz's postgame comments, he has truly, truly prioritized taking care of the basketball. He knows that we can't survive games where we have five to ten more turnovers than the other team. He prioritizes turnovers, and he prioritizes, honestly, field goal attempts. He says, with the talent disparity that we have in most of these games, we need to take care of the ball. We need to be putting up more shots than the opposition. And we had a, a not-negative assist-to-turnover ratio. I don't know if it's for the first time all year, but it's for the first time in a while. We had 12 assists and 12 turnovers, which relative to some of our other performances, I mean, I'll take that, right? So, no, you absolutely said it. It was a really, really good effort taking care of the basketball. And just the fact that we started hot. I mean, we laid out last week just how slow some of these first halves have been. When we when we win the tip and come down the floor and hit our opening three, I mean, how did that feel, right? That was just like... <laughs> that was just uh, distill that and put it in my veins man like we're just so used to these slow grinds where we have 16 18 points by halftime we hit three of our first five threes and then just run away with it so that part was truly truly interesting i will note it wasn't all offense even though uh, vanderbilt i'll call them i'll call him their second best player saban lee he had 27 points on the road at auburn we hold him to four i mean i know he was missing his other distraction if you will he was missing the guy that takes the defensive pressure off him but he's no slouch and we really put the clamps on vanderbilt defensively so it wasn't just a shooting show it really wasn't, and it was it, it was one of those. It was weird when I looked at the stat sheet afterwards. Vanderbilt only had fourteen turnovers, and the Aggies only had seven steals. But it felt like there were a lot more. It felt like the Aggies forced a lot of turnovers. You know, great defensive pressure. They the Aggies were really good about minimizing uh, the open looks that that Vanderbilt would get. They're one of those teams that likes to to pass it around get you out of position and then take the open, the open jumper, hit the open three. Uh, they really didn't have a lot of those opportunities. They didn't get a lot of open looks and the ones that they did get, they weren't hitting in their open gyms or in their own gym. So, you know, it was a, it was a good night defensively for, for the Aggies or a good afternoon, I suppose, but they, they looked really good on both ends of the floor. It was everything you wanted from kind of this blueprint that buzz is building where, you're looking at 60, 65 possessions, you know, control, control the ball, control the tempo, control the pace of the game and just try to take more shots than, than your opposition. And, and they did exactly what they needed to do. So that's exactly right. We have cranked up the pressure defensively, and I have some really interesting stats for you. We just held back-to-back conference opponents to 50 or fewer points for the first time since the Billy Clyde Gillespie era. So if you're starting to get some of those BCG vibes in terms of the grit, the toughness, the tenacity, how hard we play, how much we care about playing defense, that's not just qualitative, right? There are actually numbers to back that up. We are putting up BCG-like defensive numbers. I believe by the end of this game, we snuck into the top 30 nationally in both opposition field goal percentage and opposition points against. So it really, really is working statistically. So uh, I want to set that aside briefly for a moment and also talk about the way in which we did it against Vanderbilt. I thought, Blake, we extended that matchup zone and almost turned it into a half-court trap for the first time this year. I mean, we, we did that at times at almost every possession. So I have to imagine that, especially without Naismith, that they just felt there was a maybe a deficiency in the ball handling area for Vanderbilt because we dusted that off. You could tell the Commodores weren't ready for it because we hadn't really put it on tape this year. And that was a big part of why I thought we were able to pull away. Yeah, that one-two-two half-court trap was really effective. They they start out in a one-two-two half-court trap and then kind of drop back into that matchup zone, and and it really is effective. I think you've got the right personnel to run a system like that, uh, and and it it plays really well. Yeah, it probably did take Vanderbilt by surprise, but it, it was even even when they were expecting it in that second half, 
it was still very, very effective. So really impressed with what I'm seeing defensively. I love it. Uh, I, I, I have been very hesitant to invoke the name of, of one Billy Clyde Gillespie just because of the ties between he and Buzz Williams. It's inevitable, it's right? It's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard it's not hard to. It's hard not to. It's, it's inevitable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So, but that's, that's what we want. Right. I think that this is this is what we've always been looking for since he left the program is is somebody who will bring that type of intense, defensive minded, hard nosed basketball, because that that reflects in my mind, that reflects the identity of Aggies. Right. It's a very it's a very Aggie mentality, and I think that that's why it plays well. It's not going to be the flashiest style. It's not going to be. It's just, and it really fits with kind of that Aggie basketball mentality. It's going to be guys who want to just grind it out and, and make you pay on every possession. And that's, I think you're starting to see that mindset evolve with these guys. Absolutely, and the best part about building that way, you're, you're almost building inside out. You build the toughness, the tenacity, the grit. You build the things that can help you compete when you're at a talent the despair. You know when you're at a, when you're talent deficient. When you're oftentimes the le, the less talented team on the floor, and then over time you become not the less talented team on the floor. Right? That's when the, those Billy Gillespie teams were able to fly. It was when all of a sudden we had as much or more talent than the guys across from us, and we were still playing the same way. So it certainly appears of the step one of instilling that culture and instilling that fight appears to be done. I know we have you know seven weeks of two games a week. I mean, it's still a grind ahead of us, but man, it's, it's hard not to get excited about the way things are going right now. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, or I guess two small points really that didn't really drive the game, but things I wanted to note, the bench played well. Uh, Chandler, Jackson, French, and Galetkin combined for 28 points of uh, on 12 out of 20 shooting. And, you know, anytime you, if, if your goal is to blow someone out, it helps to put in the second unit and have things keep rolling. But we also just, we dominated down low yet again. So big advantage in both rebounds. We had a 38 to 29 rebounding advantage, 40 to 18 points in the paint advantage. Uh, yet again, for the eighth straight game, uh, the Nebo and Miller combination just continues to clean things up down low. Oh, yeah. The the rebounding has been phenomenal. The bench was great. And, and it's really nice to see. I know you and I have talked about this right as we were wrapping up the non-conference slate how there weren't really any games where you could just pull the starters and let the bench have the last 10 minutes of the game. This was that game, and it was on the road in conference play. Uh, Aku got 13 minutes. French had 13 minutes. Gultekin had 10. Quentin Jackson had 18. And I'll, I'll save the the Quentin Jackson exclamation mark for you, but man, it was it was really nice to see to see those starters get get a chance to kind of kick their feet up for for a good solid stretch there at the end of the game and just enjoy the fruits of their labor and watch some of these other guys get some run. It's nice emotionally, also nice functionally. Whenever you're like I said, you're playing every three days, it does help to let those guys get their feet up. And in terms of the Jackson dunk, I mean, I'm almost certain we're going to have the audio open this pod. I would say, Blake, that in terms of like raw ferocity, I mean, there was this, this was a dunk where Quentin Jackson, who you hear the guys talk about it, he's the best dunker on the team. They love watching him light it up in practice. If, I, I, I would advise getting early to a game, watching this guy throw some down in the pregame. He had about, it was one of those where he had about five or six steps to line it up. And he cocked this windmill back from him last week, man. He brought it back from about five feet behind him. In terms of raw ferocity, like the, the amount of violence, the amount of power on this dunk, 
it's the it's it's the most destructive Aggie dunk I've seen since DeAndre Jordan. That's the that's the one I go back to when he had that one-handed putback against Colorado when we just had an NBA man-child playing on our team because he wasn't allowed to go to the NBA yet. That's that's the last time we've had something this strong. So uh, it's going to be linked in the in the pod post on GBH. We'll open with the audio. I promise you guys, this is something you want to see. Oh yeah, that dunk was was just. I would say it's a thing of beauty, but it's not a thing of beauty. It it's is not, a no. sheer, unadulterated force of nature. Yeah, uh, you, you see, you see a couple of a couple of Vanderbilt players uh, take uh, career-preserving moves and just clear out of the way because they they knew what was coming. Especially uh, Obina, who Obina is is one of the the big men for Vandy, who had you know gone toe to toe with Nebo, and anybody who goes toe to toe with Nebo, you know they they they've got their clout right. He he saw what was coming and he just kind of s- drifted to the other side of the paint and said, "I'm just going to let him have this." And boy, did Jackson take advantage of that! It was awesome. Uh, one last thing before we before we move on from this game, you had an interesting point when we were prepping for the pod in that you felt that one of the most impressive things is that we succeeded despite Nebo not really being there offensively, right? Yeah, he he really this was this was probably one of his lesser games. Absolutely, his one of his his least effective game in terms of metrics and numbers uh, and statistics. But when you look at the stat sheet, he had, let me, let me go back. I think he had eight points in this one, uh, eight points, seven boards and two blocks. If that's a bad night for you, if eight, if eight, seven and two is a bad night, like that tells you how good Nebo has been. But it, the, the thing of beauty here was that we didn't need him to be 15, 10 and four, right? He was he was eight seven and two, and we still had a blowout victory on the road. So in in that sense, you love to see that. You love to see the team kind of cover for a guy when when he wasn't at the top of his game. I don't think that it was a bad showing by Nebo by any mean by any stretch of the imagination, but he just wasn't at the same level that I think we've gotten accustomed to see him in, seeing him in in the prior eight weeks or so. Yeah, and the main takeaway here is that we can do it without him. I think that was that was probably as important for the team to learn as it was just for us to watch. Is you know, there were times where it felt like, man, like what would we ever do if he got in foul trouble or had to miss, you know, a week with a sprained ankle? You know, heaven forbid something larger than that. But we just think like, man, how could this team function without him? Well, offensively, they functioned without him in this game. So it's always nice to know that, right? You can just file that away, and if it were to happen in real time where he's not out there, you can default back to some prior success. So. So before we go on, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsors. Okay, David, so let's jump in and talk about this LSU game. Let's talk about it because there's a lot to discuss. Uh, and, and I'll open with the beginning, as one typically does. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. All the happy, fun feelings you had at the start of the Vanderbilt game and even by extension back at the Ole Miss game last week, none of those happened to start LS- this game against LSU. I mean, the Tigers came in white hot. They're one of the better teams in the SEC. I would not be surprised if they finished top five, top four in the conference. And they, they walked into this game and they tried to deliver a knockout blow in the first round. And they damn near did it. They opened the game with an 8-0 lead. They pushed that to 23-7 after we had slightly stabilized things a little bit. And at that point, I thought, you know what, it's been a good run. This was bound to happen. And, you know, maybe this is just a walkover and we, you know, try again on Saturday against South Carolina. But that's not the way things went down. We had Mitchell Flagg and Gordon each hit two threes in the first half, which if you're counting, you're probably realizing we're already approaching our 
maximum number of threes made for most games at this point. And we stabilized things. We slow, you know, we stopped the bleeding. We didn't fight all the way back in the first half, but we didn't let things get completely get away from us. Uh, halftime score was 42 to 32. Even then, I felt like, man, this LSU team is operating at on all cylinders and you know we've done well to stay close but I wasn't really sure what was going to happen in the second half what happened in the second half was we came out of the break and we punched them back in the nose right we delivered we delivered a blow of our own we completely erased the deficit setting up what I think Blake was the most interesting 15 minutes of A&M basketball this year where we had A&M playing against a really really good SEC team both teams playing at a high level neither team letting that lead drift beyond you know one or two possessions in either direction I mean, I don't want to say it was a heavyweight fight, but it was like a welterweight fight, right? It was like two, <laughs> it was two teams <laughs> playing pretty good basketball and we were holding our own so much so that we did push the lead. We actually kind of got the upper hand. We, we had a 79-73 lead with under two minutes remaining. And I did the one thing you're never supposed to do as an Aggie. I dropped my guard and I thought, we're going to do this. We're going to win this game. At which it was point, your fault. Uh, it was me. I did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> And so we, we, we did the thing that sometimes happened when you when you have that pesky emotion called hope, and we kind of fell apart a little bit. So we had a 42-second stretch where LSU hit a three. We immediately turned it over, and they hit a three again. And I put on Twitter that gif of the, the raccoon putting the cotton candy in the water, and just it just it just evaporates. That's how it felt because before we knew it, the game was tied. It eventually went into overtime, so neither team scored after that quick burst by LSU. And in overtime, Things felt close, but they weren't really close in my opinion because as soon as the overtime period started, LSU hit a three immediately and they never relinquished the lead. So we kind of hung around. We had a couple of possessions where we could have hit a three that would have tied the game, but we never really had a possession where we could have won. And ultimately, they kind of maintained that advantage and they won 89-85 in OT. There was a ton to unpack from this game, though, Blake. There was a ton of positives, so I want to get into it. Yeah, definitely. And I'll start with the not positive. I, I actually was watching this one on a little bit of delay, I, I didn't get to watch from the start. So I had it recorded and was was probably about 20 minutes behind. So I, I knew I knew basically, you know, that they were tied at halftime as I was watching this this 23 to, to 7 deficit evolve or not tied at half. Sorry. I knew that they were down by 10 at halftime as I was watching this this 23 to 7 lead. Uh, developed for for LSU, so that was kind of what kept me in the game mm -hmm. in the moment was just knowing uh, knowing that that on the periphery A and M was was going to at least somewhat get themselves back in the game. But that opening probably seven minutes was it was phenomenal on LSU's part. I I give them all the credit. They were they were great. It wasn't that A and M was bad. It was just LSU was lights out. They were phenomenal for that opening five minutes of the half you took they took command of the game but AM asserted themselves and this is exactly what you want to see and this is what we talked about last week AM being a second half team you want to see them just just try to keep things close in that first half you want to see them try to try to figure some things out a little earlier not wait until halftime to make those adjustments and you saw exactly that you saw those the three-pointers start to fall uh, it's great to see that happen in our own gym. They, they managed to keep things close and then, you know, down the stretch to have a six point lead. I was on cloud nine, right? I knew I was, I was still very nervous, but having a six point lead at that stage in the game over LSU, I was like, okay, this is, this is where we want to see, because this wasn't the game that, that you planned for, right? This wasn't the, the blueprint of a game that, that, buzz is going to put together there th this was a much different game than than i think you would have anticipated seeing in this 
in this situation, but the Aggies adapted and they, 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 they rose to the occasion in the moment and it made a game of it. I would say uh, task failed successfully, right? Because we achieved none of our goals, but we also played a dang good game of basketball. So, you know, it had some Apollo 13 to it. It was like, we, we didn't do anything we set out to do. We didn't slow the shoe down. We got killed on the glass, which we'll discuss at some point, but we fought and we made a ton of threes and we just went, you know, we participated in a fast-paced offensive game, which I did not know we had in us. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough to reconcile the two. Like we played well, we didn't really do what we set out to do. There's kind of some some back and forth there. It, you're right, and it it is it's the quintessential moral victory, right? And I know a lot of people hate that concept, hate relishing a, a moral victory. But when you're rebuilding a program like this, those moral victories are important. They're important to see the progress. Uh, it's not something that you want to just have moral victories, but you 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 look for signs in those moral victories, and I think that there were good signs and good takeaways out of this one. There were, and in terms of finishing, I mean, we didn't look solid in those last 90 seconds of regulation. I've just got to say it. I mean, that wasn't our best look. That will come in time. That is not what we're looking for in year one, right? We're not expecting to play perfect basketball against good teams and, and always close these tight games down the stretch. So you learn. We've been in that environment. We know what it feels like to have a chance to finish off a good team. We didn't do it. You learn, you move forward. So I think it's a viable learning experience. As much as I hate the term moral victory, and I do hate it, this was one, and there's just no way around it. The best way for me to describe the emotions surrounding this game is the 12th Man Productions. They cut a basketball highlight video for a loss. Blake, for the first time in, I don't know, maybe like two or three years. Like, they typically just don't do that. So I think even throughout the program, inside the inside the walls, there's a lot of excitement about the way this one went down. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think there's 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 a right to be excited, right? You, you turned it on when you had to, and it was a good look. So we did. We did turn it on, and it was the ability to make three specifically. We've, we've over and over and over again labored over the fact that this is – Truly, and we are not exaggerating, one of the worst statistical long-range shooting seasons in the history of college basketball. Every word of that statement is true. Look it up. It's a factual statement. So with that as the backdrop, we came in and made 14 threes, 14 of 35. We shot 40% from beyond the arc. Our second highest total this year, I think, was nine against Fairfield. Our third highest total was six. I mean, we blew away our shooting numbers for the year, so I don't know what we did differently but Blake how did it feel watching us literally double our three-point output overnight it was it was a thing of beauty um and and in a certain way I'll be honest it was it was just this slight hint of of disappointment so if you recall last week we talked about AM standings as the number 353rd team in the country in division one basketball in terms of three-point percentage and that's out of 353 teams we were dead last and had a percentage that was the worst that we could find in the last 22 years. The, the the bad news is we are no longer 353. We have now moved up to 351. So uh, it's amazing what what a, really two good performances. The the Vanderbilt performance was was a good one, and then the LSU performance was a great one. So it's it's really encouraging to see these guys start to finally find their touch from behind the arc. Do you remember that scene in uh, Bull Durham where Tim Riggins throws a good pitch and he's like, that was great. How did I do that? <laughs> That's that, There's got to be some of that in the locker room right now because you don't put together a string of the first 14 games like we did unless there are some actual shooting deficiencies on the roster. So 
I guess in that sense, it does sting that on the one-off day that we didn't win, um, perhaps we are going to turn things around and shooting 20, 15% from behind the arc is not going to happen nearly as often anymore. But yeah, it was truly stunning to watch. I will note that our our offensive explosion, I mean, we, we came out, we blew away our previous high. 80, 85 is our high point of the year by far. Part of that was our discipline. So we had a season high in assists and a season low in turnovers. So 15 assists to seven turnovers in this game. We talked about the Vanderbilt assist-to-turnover ratio, us just being so excited that it wasn't negative. I mean, now we're plus eight. So I guess this, the the constant reinforcement, you know, Buzz just talking over and over and over again about how, how damaging turnovers are to this team relative to at least getting a shot up. It appears that message has actually sunk in. It, it is. It is sinking in. You know, I think it's the results are tangible, right? You can see evidence of that across their across. The, the stat sheet LSU had one steal yeah. on the night. I mean, that's one. incredible. And they that's, gamble out top that's too. Incredible. They try. They do. They put, they put pressure though. They're, they're playing for steals. They like, they like to get those fast break opportunities and they had one on the night. So you can see that this emphasis on ball security and taking care of, uh, taking care of the basketball, uh, eliminating the turnovers. That's it, it. These guys are starting to get it. The message is starting to get through. They're starting to understand. Unfortunately, it's not all positives because it was a game we lost, and there must be a reason for that. The best one I can find is rebounding. So our, our miraculous streak of winning every rebounding battle in existence since we added Miller to the starting lineup, that stopped in dramatic fashion. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with Miller, but he played 13 pretty ineffective minutes. I don't think he had a rebound. Uh, if he if he had if he had a couple, it wasn't much. I think he had one. So he had one rebound in 13 minutes. He's typically been the linchpin, the guy across from Neva who's going to help out defensively uh, and who's going to help clean up the glass. The Tigers out-rebounded this 48-32, to 32, but what's worse than that is th- there's a metric I like called offensive rebounding rate, which basically ignores the numbers and just says what percentage of missed shots did you grab if you're the offensive rebounding team. They cleared 50%, which, as you might expect, is our worst effort of the year. So take a coin, flip it. If it lands heads... LSU was getting the offensive rebound and in that context the way they were shooting and the way they were rebounding it's almost a miracle like I don't know how we stayed in the game the way we did but we we were killed on the glass um it is a little sad to to see that kind of break glass if problem solution you know of, of putting Miller down low doesn't appear to always be the answer yeah it 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 certainly didn't pay off in this one uh credit to Nebo I not to not to you know, deflect from from the Miller situation, but Nebo had a really nice game. Uh, led the team in scoring, had nine rebounds. He did his part, but but Miller was just absent, and I don't know uh, is this part of the normal cyclical nature of a freshman that that you'll that you'll see where you're going to have you know stretches where they're they're ineffective or things just don't come together. Yeah, possibly. I, I think that I, I think that that's simply what this what this can be attributed to. But uh, all in all, the rebounding numbers from everyone else weren't great either. I mean, Savion only had four. Nebo really didn't have a whole lot of help on the on the boards. So it was and it was pretty evident in the in, in the stats at the end of the night. You you had you lost the the rebounding battle by. I think 16. So that's that's not an insignificant number for for such a a close result. It's pretty easy to point that as the reason things went south. So hopefully we shore that up ahead of the game against South Carolina. To flip things back to the positive side, Andre Gordon he gave us another really good week. So he was one of our best offensive players against Vanderbilt. 
He was one of the best offensive players last night against LSU. I think it's safe to say, Blake, last week wasn't a flash in the pan. So last week he did, there was a noticeable uptick in his production. I was kind of wondering, was that going to stick? Was it going to drop off? Not only did it stick, it improved even further. So, I mean, he's cementing himself. This is his team at the point. This is his offense. The ball handling continues to get better and better, but the guy can score. So we're kind of getting the best of both worlds right now. Yeah, early in the season, he looked like a facilitator more so than a scorer. You would see some some drives to the bucket where he would where he'd he'd make the layup. But I think you're seeing uh, even more evolution to his game. His his outside jumper is starting to fall. He is finding his way to the rim with more efficiency and more effectiveness. He he looks great, and and it's it's really encouraging to see see him evolve as a point guard. So yeah, so Chuck Mitchell had been last year. Chuck Mitchell filled that that point guard role, but that really wasn't his strength, right? He he's more of a of a shooting guard, and this is something we've talked about. I think that we we needed to find a true point guard, and and Miller seems to be the answer to that question of who's going to fill that role. He he just continues to get better. Now let's let's watch and see if the trend continues. I think. I think that there may be some dips on the horizon. That's not unexpected, but I think you will see him continue to feel more comfortable within the system and continue to assert himself as the point guard for this team going forward. And there was a really cool story about him. I mean, he was committed to Buzz Williams through and through. He was a commit at Virginia Tech who followed him to Texas A&M, no questions asked. This is something we'll link again in the pod post, but there was a really good story in the Brian Eagle about Andre Gordon's backstory. He had not the greatest upbringing, and he was kind of slipping down the wrong path, found a family that kind of took him under his wing and really got him moving in the right direction. And they're the ones that kind of stayed by him and helped guide him down this path. So that's a cool story. It, it it's, it's really nice to learn more about these guys off the court. But that story also talks about how sincere Buzz was when recruiting him about taking over and like being the guy in charge of development for him for the next phase of his life so there was a really cool uh, piece of the article talking about the discussion between buzz and the guy who was acting as gordon's father figure and the, the father figure came away from that conversation saying buzz is the right guy to be in charge of the next phase of andre's life so i love hearing stuff like that it, it's the thing you hear about buzz over and over and over again is that he's not just a basketball coach it means a great deal to him to watch these guys develop as men so big fan of andre gordon love to see what he does here moving forward yeah, it it's, it really is a cool story. Um, you know, definitely one of those things. Those those are the guys you want to see succeed. You want to see those guys do something and make the most of their opportunities. And and he seems like the type of kid who who wants that. Right? He he wants to succeed. He wants to he wants to do the right thing. So really really cool. Really happy to see the way that this season has evolved for him. I think we we saw that potential early on and and it's really beginning to manifest itself and become more of a reality at this point in the game. Can't wait to see what happens next. And I guess we can peel away and move towards what is next, which in our case is a home game against South Carolina this Saturday, a South Carolina team that was reeling until breaking news. They beat Kentucky at home 90 minutes ago. So the South Carolina team, Blake, they have a fascinating string of results. This is a team that won at Virginia and lost at home to Stetson in the same week, which is just like <laughs> galaxy brain level of, I mean, that is SEC basketball in 2020 in a nutshell right there. Um, but it's the kind of thing I'm scared of. So they're going to be coming in with feeling great. And we know that their ceiling is 
quite good. So I just don't know. I don't know what we're going to get on Saturday. I think it's one of those things that's almost fully dependent on the type of opposition that shows up. Is it good South Carolina or is it we're going to step on 17 rakes South Carolina? Yeah. And I know that, you know, it has to be infuriating for Frank Martin. Oh God. He hates it. I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah. This is, this is not what Frank Martin relishes is, is, is a situation like this. But on top of that, they also had a one point loss to Tennessee, but a a 13 point loss to Florida. So, you know, it's just kind of these wild swings in, in, in the South Carolina evolution so I, I think you're right it's it, it's up in the air what 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 you can expect to see from these guys uh on saturday but i think that hopefully this lsu loss will be an eye-opener for for a&m that hey you, you know you played well against a good team and it still wasn't enough so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to assert yourself more you're gonna have to crash the boards you're gonna have to do the little things right and it's not just some of the little things it's all of the little things and that that attention to detail is going to have to be there for for you to be successful. And I think that that you're going to see a renewed focus after this loss. And hopefully, hopefully they'll make quick work of South Carolina. I'm hoping so. My friendly advice to the betters among us is: don't touch that game. Just don't touch it. It's going to Just be tough to preview. It. It's going to be tough to bet. Tough to prognosticate. Just watch and see because there's no telling. Uh, next up later in the week is a road trip to Missouri. Who? has also been pretty inconsistent of late as well. They came into the SEC play really looking pretty good. Uh, lost to Kentucky, nope, you know, nothing wrong with that. Lost to Tennessee, nothing wrong with that. Nice win at home against Florida. And then yesterday, they got absolutely boat raced at Mississippi State. And that's a Mississippi State team that isn't really playing that great. So they are sitting at 1-3 and three in the SEC. Uh, the advanced metrics like them winning pretty comfortably. I think that's probably going to be adjusted some over the next couple of days. But my expectation would be that if we want a win uh, this week, it probably needs to come at home on Saturday. Yeah, I think so. I think South Carolina is the better opportunity for a win. But this Missouri game, like you said, you've seen these wild swings. And Missouri certainly feels like one of those teams that that can certainly – underestimate an opponent they'll 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 play to the level of their competition a little bit i think and i think they may there's a there's a a possibility that they may underestimate the aggies and you know who knows what happens so i think that trip to columbia is once again a game don't touch it if you're a better (laughs) yeah don't touch it it's it's really up in the air i could see it going either way i think my my closing thought here is uh, and this might reflect just how far we've come in the last four weeks, I think I would be disappointed if we came away from this week 0-2, which is crazy to think that, right? I mean, who would have who would have thought that it would be fair to this team, to this roster, to be thinking like that even four weeks ago? But this seems like a week where we can do some damage. So I'm hoping we can get at least one. Um, the annual Texags thread of what do we need to make the NIT is already up and running. So it's nice to see that people are uh, are already flying off the handle with the things this team can accomplish. But in all seriousness, this is, it's a good start. I think we're well on our way to a much more respectable conference finish than we had originally hoped. And I don't know. Let's keep the train rolling this week. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a good start, right? I, I don't think that it after that loss at Fairfield, I don't think anyone saw a two and two start to conference play as as a even a remote possibility so i think there there's some good momentum building you're seeing you're seeing the interaction between coach and player evolve to a place where these guys are starting to be comfortable 
Uh, and this this is kind of going to be my closing thought. Even going back to last week in that Ole Miss game, uh, and then and then what you saw against Vandy, just the the way that these guys are are, are talking to Buzz and the way that Buzz is interacting with them, that level of comfort is starting to develop. And it, and it takes time, right? Because you're going from Billy Kennedy, who was a very reserved, very quiet. Uh, you know, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't this outspoken guy who was, you know, who was exuberant. He was, he was just going to kind of hang out on the bench and he was going to coach his team, but he wasn't one to really raise his voice or anything along those lines. And Buzz is the exact opposite. Buzz is high energy. Buzz is, you know, he's, he is a, a very, very, very effective communicator in that regard, but it's, they're very different styles. And I think in those situations, it's it's hard to adjust from one mindset to the other. And there's you know there there's a bit of feeling out that has to happen. Um, and it's not something that gets solved in in your preseason practices, right? You have to kind of be in the fight uh, and and be in be in the firefight and and dealing with. The, the stress and all that to understand that when Buzz is raising his voice, when he's exuberant, he's not mad. He's not angry. He's just trying to make his point and get you to perform. And I think guys are starting to feel more comfortable. You don't see that same level of timidness that you saw early in the season where guys were almost afraid to make a mistake because it, it felt like I'm going to, you know, if I do something wrong, I'm coming off the floor. I, I think these guys are starting to get more comfortable and, Buzz is also starting to trust him more, right? He's he sees that they're that they're starting to understand what's expected and and what they need to do. So I, I I'm looking for that trend to continue, and I think that that's where you're going to start to see the team come together and really gel. And hopefully, the these these positive results continue to continue to pile up. I would love nothing more than an episode next week to talk about the train continuing to move in the right direction so until then buddy we'll catch up soon and talk more hoops sounds good talk to you next week sponsor time make that money here we go count that cash count them stacks all right That's it. That's the song. (laughs) Stack them bands. Stack them bands. Give me that podcast money.